Father, again, we, we bring ourselves at your feet and thank you for being a God who speaks to us and a God who meets us where we're at. Thank you for being a God who meets us here in this place as we, as we come to worship with your people. And thank you for being a God who, who speaks to us through his word. You told us that your word is, is your very word and it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness so that we are equipped for every good work. And so, Lord, we, we come to you in your word right now wanting to be taught, wanting to be corrected, wanted to be uh, trained, wanted to be equipped for the work that you've given us. So, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you remove anything that would hinder us from hearing your word, whether it be fears or anxieties or just regular distractions, and that you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us this morning. Father, open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say this morning. And all God's people said... Amen. All right, let's look at our scripture. Galatians 1, verse 11 through 2, verse 10. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I may preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is not a lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter, 
as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars of the church, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Okay, it's better there than back there. It's been interesting this week as I've been reading this passage and meditating on this passage and studying it to begin to kind of compare Paul's conversion story to my own. This is Paul kind of talking about how he came to faith and how he started off as an apostle and, and those kinds of things. And as I thought about it, I thought there's a lot of similarities in Paul and I's conversion stories and there's also a lot of major differences between Paul and I's conversion stories. As, as some of you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My, my dad grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. My mom grew up in the Lutheran Church. But after they graduated, they both basically walked away from the faith and didn't have much to do with it. Um, after they started having kids, which is fairly typical, they started thinking, well, I should maybe be a little bit more involved in church. And so we would attend church maybe two times a year, maybe three. I have some, like being little, I have some vague memories of going to Sunday school or going to church or being involved in the Sunday school programs at Christmas or Easter so on and so forth. But church was not an important part of our life. It had really, it was very on the edges of our life. And even though my parents had grown up in the church, and even though my parents had been irregularly attending church, they weren't Christians. They didn't understand the gospel. They hadn't given their lives to Christ. They had just kind of been going through the motions. And, and actually through this kind of uh, bunch of providential events, God, God brought them to the faith. My dad, just by being a farmer, and the only station that he could get in the barn was a Christian radio station. And so he heard the gospel preached day, morning and night every day of the week and became a believer. And then we moved. We moved to Montana so my dad could kind of cut off ties from his former life because he had had a lot, of, a lot of friends who were not helpful for him. And so we moved to Montana and we became a part of this little non-denominational Baptist church that's way smaller than our church. It was teeny and, and, uh, and we started going every week because now that my parents were believers in Jesus, church was an important thing. And so we started going every Sunday. And then one Sunday when I finally understood that the gospel, the pastor was preaching and he was preaching one of those old fiery messages on the, on the beauties of heaven and the terrors of hell. And I remember sitting in the pew going, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And the only Savior that I can have, the only Savior that will truly save me is Jesus Christ, that I confessed and I repented and I turned to him in faith, trusted that his life and death was everything that I needed to be saved. But, but the interesting thing, I think, is when you start to look at my life, if you were looking on the outside at my life prior to this, I was about 10 years old when that happened, so I was pretty young, but if you were to look at me before I was, before I was a Christian, you would have said, he's a good kid. I did all the right things. I was your typical oldest child following all of the rules, 
I was good in class. I was a good student. I, I have moments I remember in elementary school sticking up for kids who were being bullied on the playground because I was still a big guy then, and so people didn't mess with me. And so I'd say, hey, knock it off. Stop picking on them. And, and I'd stick up for them, and I obeyed my parents. And you could even ask my mom. I was a model child. Not that she's biased or anything. <laughs> but, but to complicate it, After I became a Christian, I went through long seasons of my life where I was not a model child. And I was not a good kid. And I was messed up and doing lots of things that I shouldn't have done. Even though I was still a sinner, saved by grace, I messed up. You know, there's some of these conversion stories that I've heard over the years. Um, I was just listening to one a few weeks ago at that fishing tournament. One of the guys there, Ron Linder, was a hardcore alcoholic and and he became saved and he came up and fell on his knees and said, Jesus, save me. And and right in that moment, God delivered him from his alcoholism and he's never had a drink, never even been tempted ever and had this great life after that. Well, that's not mine. Actually, I was from the outside. I was a good kid. I had everything going for me. And yet after I became a Christian is when I started falling into drugs and alcohol and all of that kind of stuff. And yet... I was still a sinner saved by grace. And Paul, Paul's story is one of those more dramatic turning things. I mean, he, like I was telling the kids, he was, this is how they characterized Paul's life. The people, not even Paul, just other people looking at Paul's life said, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So this is Paul, before Christ, after Christ. After Christ, he's preaching the faith. He's, he's doing that. Before Christ, he's persecuting the church and trying to destroy it. I mean, I, I don't think until this week I fully understood the gravity of that word. Destroy it. Paul wasn't just angry at the church trying to hinder the church. He wasn't just going about trying to convince people not to believe in Jesus. He was trying to destroy the church. Wipe it completely off the face of the earth. His goal was to eradicate every single believer in Jesus. I mean, and he says that about himself. He says, you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. That's what I was going to do. I wanted to wipe every Christian off of the face of the earth until he met Jesus. And then everything changed. And so, yeah, Paul has a different conversion story than mine, where he says, hey, I was trying to wipe people out. I was trying to wipe the church off, out. I met Jesus, and then my life turned around, and now I'm a pastor, and I'm, I'm helping to build the church. And mine was, from the outside, I was a good kid, doing everything right. I became a Christian, and then I started screwing up. It's interesting. And yet, here's the reality On the outside, I was a good kid. I was a cute, nice little boy. I was. (laughs) But on the inside, I was a sinner who hated God. And that's the truth. I I didn't care about God. I I, I spit in his face every day. Even as this cute little eight, nine-year-old boy, I was a sinner who hated God. And, and I real, we have a hard time saying that about children, especially grandparents about their grandchildren, right? I think most parents 
find it fairly easy to believe that they're raising a bunch of sinners. <laughs> it's like, yep, <laughs> I believe in total depravity. Trust me, I've got teenagers. Um, but grandparents look at their grandkids and like, how could my sweet little granddaughter do anything wrong? I mean, how dare you call her a sinner? She is perfect. And the reality is, it's not true. Here's what, here's what Paul writes in Romans about every person apart from Christ in the whole earth. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul says, apart from Christ, that is true of every single person who has ever walked the earth. Even your cute little grandchildren, even your cute little grandma on the other aspect of it, even your favorite brother or sister, apart from Christ, Paul says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one does good, not even one. No one is seeking God, not even one. And no one really cares about God or even fears him, apart from Christ. It's a bleak picture. We don't, like to, we don't really like to think about it. And, and the reality is this isn't just true about your grandchildren or your grandma. Or it's, it's actually true about you. <laughs> it's true about me. Apart from Christ, that's who I was, even as a cute little eight-year-old. Even you, where you're at now, apart from Christ, that's it. And, and I realize that may make you uncomfortable. Some people get angry when you start talking like this. Some people start trying to rationalize in their head, well, I'm not really that bad, I'm, I'm pretty good. They try to wiggle out of it. And, and some people even say, I just, I don't think it's right. And I look around at the world, I see people, I run into people all the day, I think they're pretty good. I look at my grandchildren and how they live and act, and I think, yeah, they're pretty great. I even look at my own heart, and I, I know my intentions and my motivations, and I think I'm pretty good too. I don't think what Paul is saying is right. And what Paul says in response to that is, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I proclaimed is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul says it, it, it actually has nothing to do with what we think. The God who created the universe, the God who created us, looks down at all everybody in the world and says, no one is righteous, not even one. God says it. He says, no one does good, not even one. No one is seeking me. Not even one. And Paul says, who are we to question him? We might say, oh, I don't think it's bad. I think, it's, I think things are pretty good. And Paul says, no, God says this is the reality of who we are. We don't have the option 
to question him. We don't have the option to say that he's wrong. When God says this is the truth of our situation, this is the truth of the situation. And, and of course, it's, it's pretty easy for us if we look around at a world that's full of people who are sin and rejecting God, and we compare ourselves to them, yeah, we're doing pretty good. I was thinking about back in high school. I, I like to play softball, as some of you guys are figuring out, and I've played softball about as long as I can remember. And, and so in high school, we were pretty good, and I was a senior and I had a bunch of friends who were good at playing softball. And so I, I helped organize this elite softball team. I got all of the best ball players in our town together, all the top baseball players, all the good softball players. We put together a softball team. We joined in this tournament. We were all excited to go show them all what we had. You know, for this little town, we're going to show them how good we are. And we were all excited about it. And we got there. We never scored a run. We got 10 run ruled the first two games and we're out of the tournament. I think one person got on base. It was bad. It was really, really bad. We all walked, you know, we went in thinking we were going to show them. We walked away thinking, Hokey Pete, we are not good. (laughs) We are not good. And the reality was, is we thought we were pretty good because we had been playing a bunch of teams that were not good. We played a bunch of really bad teams and it's not hard to beat a bad team. You just have to be a little bit better. But when we came into contact with a team that was really, really good, we realized we are not good. And throughout Scripture, that's the case when we, when we come into contact with God. We can look and, and compare ourselves to a bunch of other sinners and think, yeah, we're basically good. But, but when we get confronted with the perfect, holy, righteous God, we're all of a sudden very aware of our sin. Isaiah and in, in Isaiah has this vision where he's seeing God's, temp, uh, God's robe fill the temple and he's brought into the presence of God. And when he gets into the presence of God, he says, woe to me. That's like a curse be upon me. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The moment that Isaiah was brought into the presence of God, what were the words that came out of his mouth? Whoa, I'm a sinner. And I'm surrounded by a bunch of other sinners. I had no idea, God. So this is who we are in reality. And yet, thankfully, God does not leave us here. And what, you know, what, I've, what I've learned over the years, and as, you know, I've, been, I've been in ministry for 11 years, almost 12 years now, and and, I, and I've watched a lot of churches try to, try to ease back on how sinful we are because it makes people uncomfortable. And they're kind of worried we're going to scare people away if we tell them you're a bunch of sinners and you don't do anything good. And, and, uh, and so it's kind of eased off and said, well, we're pretty bad, but we're not that bad. And, and what I've realized in myself is that as I've read the Bible and begun to realize the depths of my sin, I am way more amazed at God's grace. And when I understand the depths of my own depravity and I realize that God reached down and pulled me out of that mess, man, I'm excited and I'm happy and I'm praising him. And and my worship increases, my praise increases, and I'm so much more excited to follow him. And that's, that's what God did for Paul. Paul says, God, he set me apart from birth and he called me by his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me. 
so I might preach him among the Gentiles. I mean, you, you wonder why, why is Paul so passionate? I mean, Paul went to the edges of the earth. He endured beatings and whippings and shipwrecks. Why was he doing all of this for God? Because he realized how deep of a sinner he was and that God loved him and saved him and pulled him out of that. And he said, I, I am all in for this. But, but just let this sink in a little bit. When Paul talks about God coming in, calling him, redeeming him, and pulling him out, remember who Paul was in that moment. Because we like to remember Paul as the super pastor, super apostle. Forget that he was a guy who was trying to annihilate the church. That was who he was. And God didn't reject him and say, "Uh uh-uh, Paul, you're trying to kill my people. I've got nothing to do with you. God could have just smited him, right? Could have said, "You're, you're trying to take out my people. I'm going to protect my people. You're done. And God could do that. God would hold, takes his hand away. Paul dies. But he didn't do that. He said, Paul, I love you. I called you. You're mine. Turn to me. And he said, Paul, confess your sin, repent, and I'm going to pull you out of this pit. I'm going to set you up on a rock, and I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to wipe your sins away, and I'm going to give you a new life and a new calling. It's amazing. I mean, that's what God did for me, too. Right? And that's what God did for you if you believe in him. And if you're here this morning and you haven't put your faith in him and are willing to admit that you're a sinner and that you need a savior, that's what he can do for you. He can pull you out of that pit, wipe your sins clean, give you a new life and set you on the rock and say, here you are, I've got you. And, and Paul's a pretty good example that you can't mess up too far. Like you can't be much worse. And, and you can't actually, and I'm the other example, you can't, you're not good enough either. You could look at your life and say, well, I'm pretty good. I do all the right things. I follow all the laws. I've never messed up. I, I'm pretty good. And, and Paul says, no, you're not. There's not one righteous person in here. Not one. But if you turn to him, confess your sins, repent, and, and have faith in him, he says, I'll, I'll wash that away. I'll give you a new life, and I'll set you on a rock. And then he does one more thing that, I don't know, it it blows my mind every time I think about it. Because he not only forgives our sins, he not only gives us a new life, but then he gives us something else. And what Paul Paul says when he's talking with the apostles in Jerusalem, he says, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who is at work in the ministry of Peter, as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. Now let that sink in. This is Paul saying it. The man who was trying to annihilate God's people. And God could have just said, all right, Paul, I'm going to save you. I'm going to wipe your sins away. I'm going to give you a new life, but I'm going to stick you off in the four corners of the earth away from my people because you're gone. Right? But no, God says, hey, Paul... The guy who's trying to wipe out my people, guess what? Now you're going to preach the gospel. The, the gospel you were trying to get rid of, you're going to preach it. And, and you're going to lay a foundation that's going to build up the church for the next thousands of years. Two thousand years later, we're reading the words of this man, and he's giving us strength and encouragement from it. I mean, it's pretty incredible. And, and sometimes we don't get the incredible of it because we just remember Paul the super apostle. So I want to say it another way. Um, you. Think about you. 
Most of us are fairly aware of our own failings, shortcomings, mistakes. We know that we, we mess up. We, we fail God. I, I realize I mess up. I fall short. I fail God on a regular basis. But God still looks at you and says, I will forgive you. I'll renew your life. And I'm entrusting you with the gospel. And you might think, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not qualified to have the gospel. I'm a sinner. I mess up all the time. And he says, no, I'm giving it to you. It's not about you. Just I'm giving you the gospel to bring into the world. I mean, that, that should really just blow us away. I, I think almost every day I wake up and, and I'm going through life and going through the world and I'm blown away like, how in the world could God entrust me with this, with the gospel? Because I really mess up. I fall short. I'm not perfect. I'm, you know, don't, don't expect me not to screw up as your pastor. I'm going to screw up and I'm going to probably do it quite a bit. But God has still said, here, I'm entrusting you with the gospel. And then he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to work in and through your life and ministry. Like, I'm I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to walk with you and work in and through you. And he's saying the same thing for you. And you might think, hey, I am not qualified for this. I'm not good enough. And he said, it's never been about you being good enough. Not even in the beginning. I didn't save you because you were good enough. You're a sinner. You weren't righteous. I saved you purely by my grace. And you say, but I'm not good enough to, to share the gospel at least. And he says, it's not about you being good enough. I've given you the gospel by grace. And I'm going to keep pouring out grace. It's, it's never been about that. You might say, whoa, whoa, I, I'm not good enough for you to work in my life and in my ministry. And he said, again, it's not because you're good enough. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you're smart or intelligent. It's by my grace alone that I work in you and that I give you the gospel and that I forgive you. And so I just want to leave us this morning by, let's be amazed at God's grace. That he keeps pouring out on us over and over and over again. And, and may that stir our hearts to worship that we are not saved because we deserve it or because we're perfect, but only because we have a gracious and loving and merciful God who comes over and over again and lifts us out of the pit and sets us on the rock. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and the way that it opens our eyes and our hearts to the reality of the world around us, to the reality of what's going on even deep within our hearts. Father, we thank you for showing us the depth of our sin. Help us to truly see it. Also help us to rest fully on you and your son, as our only Savior. Help us not to try to trust our own righteousness, but only the righteousness that your Son gives us. Help us turn to you and find peace and forgiveness and a new life. And and we pray that your Spirit would come alongside each one of us as we live out that faith. May it guide us. May the Spirit give us strength and encouragement when we mess up. And may it give us guidance when we don't know where to go. And may the Spirit open our mouths to speak your gospel more and more in the world. But may it start from us understanding who you are and what you've done for us. And may it all overflow from hearts of praise. Lord, we ask that you do this. Open our eyes more and more to this each day. Help turn our hearts more fully to you 
each and every day and stir our hearts to worship you. May you receive all glory and honor, and may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen.